Sorry, we had a little hiccup in our recording software there, but we're back. Uh, what we were saying was we had talked about some Lean Six Sigma stuff a little bit. Taylor had mentioned that. Obviously, a big fan. Um, but at the same time, I come from the medical world. So my background is a little bit more based on the triage concept, doing the most good for the most people at the right time. And so when I'm looking at an athlete and when I'm looking at kind of the, the global picture of everything that go, they have going on, I look at two things. Like what's the most lethal and what's the most likely thing going on with them. So, you know, for an athlete who is just coming to me and I see some movement faults some movement pattern things, like I'm going to fix movement quality, the most, you know, lethal thing to them before I'm ever going to add horsepower, because we could, we could stack on horsepower to someone that's got a, a bum shoulder or something like that, but, but that's going to break them. Right. So that's the most lethal thing. They can't compete if they're injured, period. Um, they may not be competing at peak uh, potential, but if, if, you know, we're going to make them good in the long run, which is always our goal, I'm going to triage that way. So what's the most lethal thing that can hurt them? You know, is it is it a movement pattern fault or dysfunction? Is it a pre-existing injury? Um, or is it something outside the gym, right? A mindset thing. You know, is it something where they have the perception of difficulty in workouts being their metric of success? And they want to, you know, to use your term, go black every workout. Yeah. Right. That's not a long term progression plan. We have to do that every once in a while. But that that mindset could be the most lethal. And a lot of times switching that up, the most likely problem is consistency. So the CrossFit world, um, you know, some people will term it like exercise ADHD. So anytime I try and do a progression with athletes who started in the CrossFit world, they might have come back from a you know, come from a sport background. A lot of times the problem is just getting them to do the same workout three times in a row, but adding on a little bit of intensity each time. I get the feedback from them. This sucks. I'm bored. You know, so sometimes it's doing those things. That's I mean, something I struggle with. Well, yeah, I yeah. think that's something that the CrossFit, like CrossFit didn't create anything new, but I think what they did get away from was like traditional stuff when it comes to sets, reps, and, and, and volume, intensity, all that. Like they got away from standard progression of like, hey, if I'm just having you do pull-ups, let's say four sets, right? And I wanted to progress you five sets is a progression in that CrossFit world. I think just doing that three times a week or three weeks in a row gets kind of boring <clears throat> versus like it works. Like if you have an athlete and you want to compete in the sport of CrossFit, like gymnastics is a portion of getting better and it works just adding more volume like that. Yeah. So, you know, to kind of touch on that, you talk about the progression and kind of how you dose your, your patients um, or your, your athletes. You know, I, I'm a big fan of, of Andy Galpin, and he has, like, the the short order cook, the baker, and then the chef approach, right? The right. short order cook is, you know, just maybe three by ten, work out till, you know, you don't have to – until you can't feel your arms anymore. And then I, for what I would do, I would eat protein with hot sauce, right? And then <laughs> there's the, the baker, yep, who might throw something in there with some agility training. And then – you know, for me, you guys kind of as the chefs of the fitness world, from what I've seen so far, and at least in my experience, you know, one experience I've had, I came here um, relatively in, in my thought process. I thought I was I was a strong guy. I thought that I was a fit guy. But all that, I got very humbled when I came to survival of the fittest. And one of the things that I really recognized as a chef approach was 
I had some real trouble with my mobility. I had some real trouble with getting to certain overhead positions. And when I first came to Jeremy, one of the things he threw at me was, you know, three or four weeks of Turkish get-ups. And Turkish get-ups, for those of you who don't know, suck. They are <laughs> very difficult. They're very strenuous. And, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I enjoyed the pain, the tolerance of it. But I didn't recognize the fact that after those four weeks, I hadn't done a single muscle-up. I hadn't done a single snatch. And I PR'd both of those movements. So, you know, from you guys' perspective and y'all's experience, how do you flip the switch to recognize, okay, we're going to get a little bit away from what some people might call traditional and, and how some people might, you know, the methods some people might may train. And we're going to go this route because I know that in the long run, if this athlete sticks to this program, they're going to succeed in this area. Yeah. So I'll start with this one, Jeremy. Um, you know, full disclosure, man, I, I started as a short order cook. You know what I mean? I, th I think a lot of us, when we first start, have to. So you got to see some of that. So what I mean by that in the coaching they start world with is the CSES. It's like that's yeah. how they preach it. <laughs> you have to. And so you have to get some of those reps. You have to get some of that grunt work, if you will. And so personally, that short order cook for me early on looked like taking a lot of pre-existing templates out there, like big Windler fan, big Westside Barbell fan, um, and then just throwing those at my athletes. Like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna give you this recipe which at the time might have been that set and rep scheme based off of Windler, 5-3-1 for life, and then watch how they adapt. And what I kind of saw, three different groups. You got some responders, people who do really well with it. You got some non-responders, people who they get worse with it. Same thing, same type of athlete, get worse. And then you have some people that we call transient responders. So they kind of get a little bump in performance, and then they fall off. A lot of times those are the newer athletes that have never done anything. So – took that kind of that short order cook and was like, all right, this isn't working for them. Let me add some other things. And that became more of the baker, but I was still given kind of the same flavor of food, just add my own spice to it. A little chemistry. A little chemistry. Wasn't changing it too much. Then through trial and error and, you know, a lot of my early athletes, sorry, but, uh, you know, through trial and error and some of those things I saw, um, taking a, a individualized approach one, and then measuring daily, weekly, and monthly on how they were adapting and trending that was what came into what, you know, to use the analogy right now, more of a chef approach. But once again, with being a chef, you still make things within a certain, you know, genre. Like I'm not a, I'm not taking Chinese food and trying to mix it up and all these other things. I'd say a little bit more um, still within a certain vein. And so what I mean by that is like, yeah, we're still doing a lot of strength and conditioning methods just applied at the right time, right dose, right that right athlete. We're not going super off the reservation here and trying to make up some new method. system <laughs> method. You know, we're not not big into the non-traditional stuff like Indian clubs and all these other things. They're right time, right place, right thing, but we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. And kind of what I've seen in that time is when I started following the short order stuff early on, like linear periodization. So first week sets of five, next week, you know, sets of five at X percentage or, or change the reps a little bit like that does work. I'm not discounting that at all does work. Um, but at the same time, does it work as well as it could? If we took an individualized approach, does it work as well as it could if we do a big assessment and then pick the right tool? And I think that's the difference. Short order cook is making one thing, right? That coach who's doing cookie cutter template, he's making one thing and the athlete can choose to take, take it or not. The, the chef is making, 
um, something that the athlete wants to fit their tastes and everything else because the athlete gets a say in it too. Some athletes want to have those grinder type workouts. They usually don't do well in our system. Yeah. But, you know, we can't fault them for having their own taste. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to not neglecting the basics. Like, even if you look at the shelf, chef approach, at the core of it, I'm sure me and Chris can take down some programs and say, like, hey, here's how we're increasing sets. Here's how we're increasing reps. Here's how we're increasing intensity. Here's how we're decreasing volume, increasing intensity. You get the peak. It's just not as cookie cutter as CSCS and a lot of these, like, methods kind of teach which is just like percentage base sets base for eight weeks at a time. It's like, boom, I think it neglects the human adaptation portion of it, of like things happening. And then also when it comes down to movement quality, like someone like you, super strong guy from athletic background, does you no good to work through 65, 67, 70%, 72%. Cause no matter what percentage you can't get your, your arms over your head and do a squat. Right? So we can get you stronger utilizing still sets reps and, and getting the volume in there with contraction types. Like we, have to, we like to talk about contraction types, like speed of contractions um, and all that. So we still get that contraction type just from a different method that like we're noticing in your movement fault. Yeah. And, and that's where I think with the trial and error piece and doing this over time, like, you know, nobody starts off as a chef, right? They have to go through it all. And I think with the teaching methods, like Jeremy mentioned CSCS and then, you know, other systems out there that are trying to teach coaches, they kind of have to do that. Like you have to teach somebody what a, what five by five will yeah. do to an athlete. You have to teach somebody what Windler or conjugate or Shaco, you pick a system, what that will do to someone. The difference though is interpreting the results. And I've, I've said this to Jeremy before, said this to some of my other coaches, those programs are built for the coach, right? If you can put a program, a, a whole macro cycle, breakdown of mesocycles, all the other stuff into a program a year out, that's a program for the coach. It's not a program for the athlete because coaches like to see pretty percentages. They like to see graphs and charts. I do too. But why is it 70%? Why is it 72.5%? Because those are easy to do math off of. Why is it not 71% for 13 reps than a set of 75% for 12 and then, you know, down to four because the athlete is an organism. It's not a bar graph. And that's where I think a lot of the baker piece comes in and um, you kind of sort that out. And then the chef piece is like, okay, given this athlete and my assessment, given the ingredients, meaning what the athletes bring into the table, their classification, their current range of motion, all the dynamics that come in um, to building a human and then blending those to make the best possible outcome. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing. Like take top chef, you know, like, I watched me some Chop Chef, not afraid to admit it. Absolutely. When they give them a basket of stuff and say, make a masterpiece out of this, it's, it's kind of similar because when an athlete walks in the door, they're not a blank slate, right? A lot of times when you first start programming, you're like, well, I'm going to do five sets of five of back squats at this. And then 30-year-old Joe walks in the door. is like, I can't back squat. I've got a back problem. Well, what do I do? So now I have to alter it. And that's a little bit more of, of the chef approach and then i think just to put it out there as like a, a clear-cut example of what the two would mean so if we take win layers five three one each each week you're gonna have different percentages and throughout the week let's say you hit 65 percent 72 percent and then like 85 percent whatever it is and you build say you run that again five three one now it's at 70 80 90 percent max the more chef approach is if we look at like auto-regulated training where hey build to a tough set of five and let's say you hit, we're doing back squat. Let's say you hit 315. Next week we come in, hey, I want you to build a tough triple. 
and you're feeling really good, right? Sleep, your mental game's on point. You didn't have a bad day at work, and now all of a sudden you're going 365 for three. Next week come in, hey, build to a tough single. Don't fail, but just a tough single. The opposite happened, right? And you're sleeping like shit. You ate like shit, and you had a bad weekend because the weather sucked and we're locked inside, and you only hit 375. Where you can see the difference is if you use percentage-based training and all those bad things happen, and now an athlete who's really in tune with their training fails that percentage, like what kind of damage did you used to and then halted your progress yeah. versus, hey, 375, it rings a bell to us. Like maybe that's not right. It would consider me to triple at 365. Um, so it just adds a little bit of play and flavor in there for like, hey, not every day is going to be a benchmark day. Every day is a training day. Um, and there's kind of ups and downs that come with that. And I think percentage-based training, if you use like a five, three, one with percentages kind of takes the element of the human body out of it. And it's like, got to hit this percentage or your training session sucks. It's like, no, not necessarily. Like you still get high quality work at that 375. If it's just what you have for that day yeah. without avoiding injury too. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the research is starting to show that now. So like, you know, there's, there's a couple different research, um, bodies out there that are really looking at reps in reserve, right? So saying do five reps with X amount of reps in reserve or reps in the tank, mm -hmm. you know, or RPE, like RPE of 10 should be an absolute max effort death set, you know, um, perception of effort. So if I give Jeremy, Hey, do a set of five at RPE 10, like that last one should be no reps left in the tank, absolute all out effort. And he can feel that. And the more advanced an athlete gets, the better they can do at it. But what we're seeing is a lot of those systems that are built off the human that aren't as pretty in an Excel sheet because he might get, yeah, 375 this week for a set of five. Next week, it might be 350 based on what's going on around him. What they're starting to see now is those are starting to prove superior to linear based things. Now, the problem is the type of athlete that does that. You give that to a beginner, they don't know what their max is. They don't know how to express their max. So there is some variance in there and you got to apply it to your athlete. And you got to apply it to the movement. So anytime I break down a movement, you talked about muscles, muscle-ups earlier. I look at three things, right? What's the pattern required for that movement? We can get super technical with the terms, right? Flexion, extension, internal rotation, all those other things. Or I can say, you have to hang, do a dead hang, pull to your chest, and then a press. So what are the prerequisite patterns you have to do to get there? If I'm teaching you to squat, and you would go to immediately into a hinge, we've got a pattern problem. I'm never going to teach you to squat. What are the positions required? Like, can you get into a full overhead extension of your arm without any sort of issues? No? Well, I'm not going to add horsepower. I'm not going to do this thing. And then the power comes at the end, but the power is relative, right? So if you're doing repetitive muscle-ups over a period of a Metcon that's 20 minutes, like Nate, right? That's a different pattern and power output combo than if you're just doing a max effort set or if you're just doing weighted muscle-ups or something like that. So that's how I break every movement down. So if you come to me day one and you're a high-level baseball player like you were, well, that, that's a check block. I'm like, okay, he's an athlete. He probably knows how to move well, probably has good body awareness, probably has all these things. But can he get into those patterns? Yeah, he can do the patterns. Can he get in those pit positions safely and without pain? No? Okay, we're, we're doing positional work. So I'm now going to dose you in some positional work. AKA Turkish get-ups. AKA yeah. Turkish get-ups, right? So, you know, then eventually we'll come back, and when you add the power output, once you fix those other two things, then you can go. You know, some systems call it excess, uh, assess, excess, and then express. 
Some people, you know, Exos has a different terminology, isolate, innervate, integrate, that sort of thing. doesn't matter. You have to look at it. <laughs> you it know, all stems the same thing. Right? You have to look at the person moving and the, the needs. You have to do a needs analysis. Then you have to kind of pick the methods. And that's where switching from short order cook to baker kind of happens. I'm still baking bread, but I may be baking a different type of bread this week for you versus Jeremy. But I've still got flour. I've still got a certain set of things I'm going to apply. Yeah. The chef comes in at the very end and is like, okay, I don't need any of that. I can take all these things and get it for you. You know, but I don't want that to mean we don't use proven principles. We don't yeah. use any of those things. We actually are very data-driven, very science-driven, um, but that's just kind of how we do it, you know. I think you guys do. I mean, I've heard you say you're like lifelong learners, right? Mm-hmm. So staying humble, always realizing there might be something else out there to continue to, to utilize is, is something that I think um, can't be undersold. So, Or you could get into that, too. That's a whole other episode regarding how to interpret research, right? Like 0.05 doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't work, but it just doesn't mean that they've proven enough for them to kind time of, in place. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I will say though, like once again, being, being candid here, I messed that up early on. Yeah. Right. So I would, as a, as a lifelong learner, but applying the application or applying the research to the wrong person at the wrong time. And that's what got me in trouble early on with myself. Cause I would go look up all of these Russian methods and I try and go look at it right from the source and do all these other things and not realize those were a bunch of level athletes by the time they got to where they were looking at them because they went through the Soviet sponsored system and only the cream of the crop made it to the top. Yeah. I'm not the cream of the crop. I have to admit that. But when I'm trying to apply those same methods without maybe some of the uh, pharmacological, pharmacological interventions they were <laughs> yeah. making. And I'm like, man, why am I breaking on Smoloff? What the hell? Yeah. And you, you know, you don't, add it all in and factor it all in. And that's some stuff I messed up early on. And I, I never asked myself the question, can I versus should I with, with methods? Could I do a small off squat cycle on top of endurance stuff on top of gymnastics? Yeah, I can. Should I? For most athletes, no. For most athletes, you know, probably don't need two a days. So that's where um, that question, I think, never popped into my mind early on. Can I versus should I? So that, that takes me to a good point, right? So me as an athlete right now, I'm, I'm starting to learn a lot about myself. I'm, you know, getting humbled in a lot of areas and I'm starting to try to make some decisions as to what's my next steps, right? Throughout CrossFit, throughout fitness in general, and just how is it going to affect my life now locally and then globally, like down the road. So for me, at what point is it worth me selling out, right? And going all into this CrossFit thing and thinking about going into two a days, thinking about really dialing my nutrition. And then there's the the other aspects of things where it's it's my psychological health, where I have my wife that I really want to make sure that I stay, you know, in tune with. And I really like that's that's my one thing I'm not gonna give up, right? Mm-hmm. I have my friends that I go to the gym with. I got my guys, Phil, Travis, Joe. Johnny, like those guys that I really enjoy working out with, that's kind of, um, you know, where the friendship part of this thing works for me. But there's also the part of me that wants to be the best version of myself. Yeah. Right. So at what point is it worth me starting to maybe make some sacrifices in some of those areas and maybe get some individualized one-on-one training where I'm not a remote athlete, maybe do some two-a-day training, and then maybe start making some sacrifices on the weekends to really put in some more effort. So, you know, for you guys – when is it time for that athlete to make that decision? I'll start here, Chris. Like, 
I think one, it's, it's got to be your goals. One, you have to like be okay with what your goals are. Um, number two, you have to accept the fact that at one point, if you want to be, let's say, if you want to go across the sanctional, uh, I'm going through right now. Chris has been there before with his career. You have to be selfish at some point, right? So yes, it's great to work out with the guys. I love when people work out with me. Chris comes and listens to me every once in a while. But 90% of the time, I'm by myself. Not because I don't like working out with Chris, but simply because if he has something to do with the gym or if he has something to do family-related, that's my time. Like, I got to do that, right? So when it gets into that, like working out with the guys and being remote versus not being remote, the remote stuff doesn't really come into play as much, but it's more or less like being selfish with your time and being okay with that at a certain time of the year. We talked about it earlier. Like, you're going to have to be selfish when it comes to family and stuff like that because that's your goal. And that kind of leads into two days. If your goal is to go across the game at some point or sanctional, whatever stage you're at, at some point you're going to maybe blend in some two days. I don't think they're necessary for everybody. That's my personal opinion. People always come up to me and think that you have to do all these two days. You don't have to. What it does, though, is it allows you to get a better base of training. Because when we come into competing factors, when it comes to are you working strength endurance, you're working endurance, you're working metabolic conditioning, all that kind of stuff. You can't have competing factors really in one session. So typically for me, that's how I split up with my athletes, the athletes that are willing to do it. Morning session is typically an aerobic kind of just base builder. Nothing um, challenging on the system. Nice way to get oxygen moving, building an aerobic base. Aerobic base helps you recover, strengthens your mitochondria, right? Increases the number of mitochondria. So therefore you're able to recover a lot better. There's a lot of benefits behind just like, oh, I'm doing two days just to get more work in. So then that kind of leads to my next point to you have to do it correctly, which is for reason number one, you haven't had any yet, right? Because we talk about all the time, you have to slow down in certain workouts and you have to learn how to pace. If I give someone a 5K row in the morning and they go and blister their record setting pace, like that whole thing is scratched, right? Like that whole workout slash session slash intent is scratched versus they sit on there and we talk about with Lauren a lot of times after Wadapalooza, Hey, just go jump on the row and row like a 10 minute 2k. It's super slow, nice and easy, but now you're breathing, you're moving blood. And then you come in the afternoon and boom, here PM session. So you have to earn it with intent is what I always say. You have to earn the ability to tell me you can do it. Um, third for me is you have to have the available resources to do two days. If you are doing two days and you're squeezing your sessions in like by the minutes, and then now you're skipping recovery, you're skipping cool down, you're not eating enough. And then now all of a sudden your family's upset because you're not having the time with them. Two days got to go and you can have everything you need in one session. If you come to me, you're like, hey, I can get up in the morning. I can do 20 to 30 minutes, 40 minutes of aerobic work. I can eat properly so I can recover in between each session, right? Like two days aren't go work out at 930 and then go work out at noon again. We send our guys on our long rucks getting ready for selections. It's like, hey, hit the strength piece in the morning, go on a long ruck in the afternoon. Typically six hours is what we say. So it's just having the available resources, also being the athlete that needs that. And I think everyone jumps to like, oh, I need two days to be better. It's like, no, not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, obviously you two have been working together for a while. Like for me, just how I work with an athlete, like, you know, we'll just keep it kind of nebulous right now, not put a name to it. But it comes back to that biopsychosocial model, right? What's your biological availability? Like you're ready to train, you feel good? Cool, yeah. we can work with that. But if you don't have the psychological support, or the social support, like if the wife doesn't want you to do it, that's a stressor. Mm-hmm. Exercise is a stressor. If the wife says, hey, man, I need you home more, that's a stressor. So 
we have to balance those things out. If the psychological piece is there, like an athlete knows they need to train two a days for, you know, a high volume event, but it's not there. I'd rather get them one high quality session than two and try and force them into it. And so, you know, that's where I, I ask, I start every new athlete session with a goal setting session. Basically tell me your goals. Okay. Training supports your goals. Training is, is what achieves your goals, whether that's a skill, whether it's strength, whether it's whatever, training supports your goals, but your training is dictated by your priorities, right? If the family is a priority and they are a higher priority than training, we're going to make training secondary to family time. So if you get an hour a day to build yourself more time with the family, that's all we have to work with. We're not going to flip that around and tell you, you need to train four hours a day for this thing when it's not your highest priority. And then we create a mental roadblock. And every time you're training, your session isn't as high as it should be. shouldn't be that sort of, you know. And we touch on the the biological piece of it. Like we then start tracking data measurements to see if you're even, if two days are even like working for you, right? Like I track HRV, heart rate, resting heart rate when they wake up, weight every day, make sure they're eating enough. For my athletes, they're doing two a days. And if all of a sudden I'm seeing like shit HRV scores, heart rate variability, and they're like, yeah, we, let's keep going. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, let's go a week without the two days. And all of a sudden, now your HRV bumps up over 100. You're not controlling the lifestyle factors needed to support your goals to do two days. I think that's the biggest kind of risk factor with running two days is like all of a sudden shit starts going downhill because you're stressing the body more and more. And, and I'll flip it around one. So looking at it from the athlete's perspective. Back when I was training at a very you know high competitive level, and then even now with my highest level performers across all domains, tactical, CrossFit, um, you know, endurance racing, you name it, the ones who do the best are the ones who uh, dictate their goals in a clear manner. Like they say it, I want to win this, I want to do this. They tell me what their priorities are and how they support their training, but then their daily habits support it as well. I don't have to. I don't spend time with my high level athletes having to lecture them <laughs> on nutrition, lecture them on drinking water, exactly. lecture them on stuff. They cut it out on their own. Yeah. Like it's not even a, it's a non-issue. So with a lot of my newer athletes, they, they ask, how do you get your, how do your high level athletes just not go out and drink on weekends? How do they do? It's a priority. So it's not even a question yeah. with them, you know, because they tell me their priorities and they live, live up to it. So for me real quick, I think, you know, goals is probably its own, its own podcast. It's his own hour. Yeah. If you really want to think about it on a, on a micro macro meso and then lifelong goal of what's going to eventually make me happy in this life. But, um, I think that's for another time and another place. Yeah. I think for you right now with what it seems like you got going on, it depends on the season you're in, right? Like if you qualify for a sanctional majority of the time, we don't have to do two days, two months out. I'm going to ask you the real question of, Hey, you want to go participate or do you want to do well? Yeah. Say same thing with my tactical athletes, like skipping workouts, going out on the weekends. Hey, do you want to go to selection because it's cool to be an SF operator or like anything like that? Or do you want to go and like make a statement you like you're there? To, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and, I, and you could take that on any level when it comes to just being a badass person. Hey, GPP, I want to like PR my deadlift. And they come in, their priorities are a little messed up. It's like same thing. Like, hey, do you really want to or are you just saying it because you want to like objectively have like a goal like chase and 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 i think it's important to note goals can change right you can have cycle goals as a coach you can have cycle goals as an athlete like if you want to make a sanctional right now it's an online qualifier yeah that's a drastically different training program doing the same workouts three times over the course of a weekend or something versus a sanctional 
six different workouts over three days in most of these. So those goals can be different too. Okay, I want to make a sanctional. Well, that's backwards plan. Goal number one is online qualifier. Goal number two is sanctional. So do we do two days the whole time? No, because I need you to do one high intensity session all out. Yeah. Balls to the wall. There is no saving it for sessions two and three. And I need four. you to thruster wall ball yep. and pull up really well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's different. It's different. So, um, you know, the next thing we'll kind of talk about, I, I think is a good segue is how we validate training sessions. 